from the slums of Shaolin. No, from Central Sauce of the Fifth Element Podcast Network. This is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. I have a long, reputed history here at Central Sauce as a contributor. But I'm also a content creator on YouTube at Elliot Says Hello, so you can check that out if you feel like it. With me, I have the wonderful Ryan Gower. Gorich. Gore. All right, see? <laughs> We're doing great. I'm great really stuff. tired. Yeah. I have Ryan Gore. A writer at Central Sauce and Football Paradise, Ryan. What are you? What are you working on, Ryan? <laughs> what am I working on? Uh, good question. So, if you check out uh, Squiggly Animation Magazine, the latest podcast, I did an interview with the director and producer of Pixar's Lightyear. Uh, Starts fun, and on the same uh, publication, soon you should find my interview with uh, the voice of uh socks in that same movie peter stone so yeah keep an eye for that awesome i also have our great friend the italian tyler jones who is the creator of the season sauce pot, uh, playlist and writer for revolts a to z webcomic tyler how are you doing what you working on hi i am tyler jones uh i'm r- some occasional writer at central sauce sometimes maybe in the future more so anything else um, but I'm also a poet. Um, I've been working on my own book um, called Obsidian Sun. It is a poetry collection of uh, po- uh, poems that focus on black people and allegories of the sun, star, and moon, uh, sun, star, and fire. And check that out hopefully this fall. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm really happy to talk to you guys again. It's been a while, and you guys are always great to talk to. I am really excited to talk about these articles that we have today. We have lined up first an article from GQ. Ryan, I believe this is your piece, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's Kendrick Lamar's groundbreaking Glastonbury set meets the moment with an abortion rights battle cry. And it's written by Musa Kongwa. Uh, Kongwa. Um, I'm doing great with pronunciation all yeah, day, every day. Um, Ryan, talk to me about the piece. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you just recap 12, this is for GQ, and it's by Musa Kwanga. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Musa's work uh, from the football realm, because he talks about football like it's poetry. So when every time he actually gets to talk about poetry and music, it's always, like, extra special. Um, he's that kind of writer where it doesn't matter what he's actually talking about, you always want to read it, just to pick out a line or a turn of phrase, uh, you know. That that line that just makes you take a moment and be like, yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> that was really creative. Um, and he does that all over this piece. Um, his reverence for Kendrick in this piece is clear as he recaps his um, show at Glastonbury recently. But um, there's a line that I picked out, or a few lines. He says, um, watching Kendrick rap is a thing of astonishing precision, akin to witnessing a jeweler slice their way through diamonds. Yet the most remarkable thing about him is the rawness with which he reform he he forms each word utters uttered as if he has launched it from the depths of his soul. 
So if you'd never um, read Musa's writing before this, that's like a bit of a taste of the way he likes to construct things. And it's always mesmerizing. It's always great. Um, and it's absolutely worthy uh, of, of, of Kendrick. You know, I feel like uh, we've talked on the podcast before about having to match up to the artist's level when it comes to describing their music. And I feel like, you know, that kind of eloquence is absolutely worthy of Kendrick. Um, what I find um, really, really interesting about this piece is the way that it ends, which um, is like in relation to the bit that everyone's talking about, Kendrick's repetition of the phrase, they judge you, they judge Christ, Godspeed, who wins rights. Uh, Elliot, would you like to reenact the exact way Kendrick did that? <laughs> There's nothing that I would want to do any less. Um, <laughs> I really, really would never do that on, on air. But it was awesome. It was really awesome. It was. It was interesting, right? So Musa describes the moment as redemptive for Kendrick, concerning his history of sexism, uh, both, I guess, in music, with the latest album, with having people like Kodak on the album, and uh, that whole XXX situation and the whole TDE R. Kelly situation. Um, um, so I thought that was interesting to use the word redemptive. So I'll throw it to you guys at this point. Do you guys see that moment as redemptive for Kendrick? And do you feel like Kendrick in his own mind is like, oh, I have to make up for that? And if it is an attempt to make up for that, is it actually enough? I'll give that one to Tyler. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a multi-layered problem and or attack because obviously we don't know because obviously we don't know who we, uh what what he actually like looking uh what he's actually looking for in terms of if he's trying to seek redemption or or forgiveness I, I from especially from his last album kendrick seems to have done a lot of therapy he's done a lot of personal work and more so than I think he's fully redeemed or or he's trying to find it, I think he's trying to find a place for his voice on subjects he may not be used to, right? So um, while there is a lot of to a lot of things to criticize about that album in terms of how he approached certain subjects, more than anything else is at least that I'm as a fan, as a human being, I'm trying to give him some leeway. Is that he's trying. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of people, us included, and I, I don't say us, I mean as people, um, can sometimes want people to always be where we're at, um, in terms of like either knowledge or be, in terms of being allies. You're like, oh, catch up, right? Um, and you could argue if you're going, and you could also argue like if you're going to talk about those things, you should do them from completely well well informed background. But since Kendrick has always seemed to be someone, once again, none of us knowing him, obviously just going through his music, seeing someone that's been very transparent. If he, if this is where he is at the moment, this is where he's going to give you. You could argue it may not be socially responsible. You could argue that it's honest, his honesty uh, overlaps that. And then when we go into this moment at, how do you say it, Glastonbury? Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah Glastonbury. Exactly. Um, I just want to make sure I said it right. <laughs> uh, Glastonbury. <laughs> um, you can see, once again, he's making more strides to possibly get there. And it's oddly enough, even though he, we heard him mention Robert, 
I'm not going to say his full thing, Robert. Um, he did not mention XX at all, but like he did not. And, and while it seemed like he might have been showing some ba some bail, he seemed to be also criticizing him and society at the same time. So I'm not sure if he's even totally like, oh yeah, R. Kelly's a monster's type deal. More so he's recognized that R. Kelly had did some bad things. Um, can that be fully contradictory of what he's saying at, as this land, like this mic drop moment? Because that's essentially what he did for his performance. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm truly and honest to God, not sure. But I, but I do, as, once again, as the human side of me, see someone who's trying and trying to use his platform the best that he can that makes any sense yeah no and it makes it makes perfect sense and i think like the idea of contradiction is absolutely um inherent inherent is that a word yeah to kendrick's like current uh image right he's trying to uh bring that conflict to the forefront for sure um i guess so to me like you say tyler you can't expect everyone to be exactly where you're at but one thing i never associated with kendrick was the idea of like being performative um so i'll throw it to elliot what do you think of that idea do you think that this was performative or do you think in kendrick's mind this is like as powerful as it could be well with kendrick i don't know if performative in the sense that we see that term is ever like the most accurate way to describe his stances on things because he takes a lot of risks with his stances um and he'll he'll very much like stand on certain things and this is often what leads to the criticisms and the discourse because sometimes those are things that really probably would be better if he didn't you know and there's also a lot of things he's he's been right on of course but i think the xxx stuff and the the r kelly stuff with the label was a black eye um it was it was a it was a tough thing to sort of reconvene for a lot of people um and that's not the term it's a, it's a tough thing to sort of un reconcile. Like, reconcile that's the better word um and i think that i think that a lot of it is just that kendrick has this very humanist approach to things which of course is not really a specific type of term but he's always approaching things from the standpoint of i want to respect people's humanity and i want to respect human error and human journeys and this kind of approach is admirable and it's part of what leads to such honesty and such empathy in his work but it's also something that oftentimes eschews the ability to bring people consequences for negative actions or allows people to be you know voracious about standing on any particular thing a lot of this when it comes to kendrick has to do with issues within the black community or conversations within the black community that i'm not really equipped to speak on that i'm not it's not my place to speak on but i think a lot also has to do with these intersections with misogyny and sexuality that there have been discourses about recently outside of the black community with regards to Kendrick. And I think that overall, um, it's a complicated thing to reconcile because on one hand I, I can see even aside from the fact that I know Kendrick is not really somebody who's going to just do something because it's, it's convenient. 
but I can also I get a feeling from that moment in the performance of the like, a genuine sincerity, a genuine almost um, apologia or like real sentimentality for women, for women's struggles and for the ways in which men perpetuate women's struggles. I also think that, you know, it's perfectly valid too to see people on social media kind of be like, cool. You know, it's it's perfectly valid to see women and, and, and gay folks um, who have had these criticisms of Kendrick for his stances with regards to fam people um, sit here and say like, yeah, well, that was like a little moment in a set where you looked really cool and really honest and really heroic, but what concretely are you doing? Right? What, where's the, where's the money going? Where's, where's that political stance is going? Where's the movement that you're trying to start going? Or is this just kind of like you feeling bad and like expressing it, but ultimately in that sense, performative, because it's not really something equipped to something that, we can consider solidarity something that we can really attach ourselves to and appreciate you know ultimately it's going to take way more than artists standing on festival stages and saying fuck the supreme court women deserve rights for the supreme court to actually be stopped and for women to actually have rights it's going to take the people in the street that don't have big names that don't get remembered that don't have a big platform through which they can monetize and stand out that are going to be the ones who make this change and where Kendrick positions himself in that in those movements and their struggles is what really will be the important part of his legacy when it comes to social issues then you know you can see stuff like this in retrospect and say well then you remember what he did after that performance at Glastonbury and what the way that he supported these movements in that moment was really important but if if he follows this with more apologetic attitudes towards abusers of women it's just going to look kind of corny yeah yeah and i think one thing that's really pervasive through this piece is the intricacy of kendrick's performance right the the uh, care that he puts into it, the work that he puts into it, how meticulous all of it is, and for him to incorporate that as part of his performance, I guess that's like a huge statement from him if you know how Kendrick works, right? If you know how much he values that time he spends on stage and how much he values like music and performances as his, his, his primary weapon, for him to incorporate that phrase, that idea into his performance shows how much he truly cares because I feel like, you know, uh, Kendrick is, as you say, it's the thing about honesty, right? Kendrick being like a very honest person in his performance, but very honest in his music for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's uh, something that's been I've been toying with a lot. Is those two ideas like what side do I sit on? Is it like is he going to back this up? You know, and I think one thing that we do lose from like these huge artists not wanting to do interviews anymore um, is just clarity right it is the clarity to know like oh kendrick is doing this you know because i understand that a lot of celebrities like to do their work in the shadows and like not publicize everything they do which is like commendable in one sense but i think it means a lot to community to see like kendrick and Lamar publicly like supporting 
um, I don't know, like LGBTQ charities, things like that, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a difficult thing and it's a, we're in a difficult media landscape where we will, this is all we will get, <laughs> most likely. Um, but yeah, so what what do you guys think of that? So what do you think of the idea of like the anonymity of artists and how that actually affects people like Kendrick who do try to um, project themselves onto the world like that? Uh, I think it's a, like a double-edged sword, kind of. Um, it's I have this really weird thing because ever since of twenty because of twenty twenty and everything of that nature, when we are at almost at this hyper state of either activism and or awareness from people, which people who are like obviously they've been marginalized for a while have been aware of for a very very long time, but I think because of twenty twenty that specific that year, things got a little crazy and people was like people were like, what are you doing? Legitimately, what are you doing? Are you donating? Or if you are donating, why aren't you making it public? If you're donating, why aren't you also doing this and doing that and doing this? I, like I said, I think it's interesting because at the same time, these people who have influence, we should want them to do a, um, have a, um, we give them a platform, so we want them to use it appropriately. Um, the sec- on the other hand, do they have to? Are they required to? You would argue with someone with Kendrick who makes quote unquote conscious music, right? That you would want them to. I think he even ha- he even made a statement. It was in there, and someone can fax only <laughs> fax only me later or something like that. But um, but I'm pretty sure Kendrick did donate, and I think he went to a protest for the Black Lives Matter thing. But he didn't. Once again, he didn't. Uh, advertise it right um but it was found out later that he did either through an interview or even through a song he might have said like oh i've done i did this i actually did do this um and maybe that's the same thing he's doing now but once again almost as uh, as elliot was saying do you publicize it if you want but then people always then they get caught up in a trap of like oh you're doing this for cloud or you're doing this for so and so in my personal opinion i don't care Make it publicized. People are going to have their opinions anyway, right? As you've said on your song, you're not the savior. Kendrick Lamar made you think about it, but he's not your savior. So he's pro- he, he himself probably even thinks about it in a weird way. He's like, do I save everything that I do because I want some anonymity and I want people to not always just be in my business and watching every single thing I do? Which I get that. I want If I was famous, I don't want people to leave me the hell alone. I would let me, let me do what I want and just like leave me the hell alone. Or two, because you do have the platform at the end of the day, do you use it? Um, for me, if we're if you're gonna, if you're asking me and asking what I think and what people should do, I say do as much that you can, right? Like if you're a millionaire, donate. No, you don't necessarily have to be on the streets. You don't even have to necessarily have to have a mic because some people. Like, let's say a Drake, I'm pretty sure he does not have the range to speak on those things, but he might donate, right? Or even Beyonce, she might have the, um, just any big name artist, right? They might not have the range to actually speak about it, but they're like, all right, cool. Let me make a donation and let me say, hey guys, I support this. This is what I'm giving a donation to. If that's the, at the very least you can do. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, um, the rapper, the conscious person that he is that, in some ways, he's put himself on on a platform as an activist. Yeah, sure. You don't necessarily have to go protest. Make your statement, but also say like, "Hey, 
these are some maybe on Twitter here are some links you can go to to places that I've donated or this is what I donated to or this is how you can help your local officials even though also I think voting is low-key useless and I hate everyone um, <laughs> but um, yeah it's 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 you can you can do multiple things with that right if you have said platform and that's kind of where I'm at with it yeah we have to move on, but um, yeah, you you are right on the point that Kendrick has this want to philosophize, rather like before he puts like the public foot forward. Um, when, as you say, like a lot of artists, you might be better off just dropping some money and stuff as the foundations and and calling it there. But yeah, right. Well, that's the GQ piece, Kendrick Lamar's groundbreaking Glastonbury set meets the moment with an abortion rights battle cry by Musa Kwonga and thank you Ryan for bringing that to the table thank you to Musa um, for writing thank you to Musa <laughs> for sure we're gonna move to an uprocks piece that Tyler brought which is titled An Honest Conversation with Jackson Wang, the Magic Man. It's written by Eric Deep, and it came out a few days ago on the heels of the 88 Rising Festival. So Tyler, tell us a bit about the piece. So yeah, um, as some, some of you may know, some of you may not, me and Elliot I'm not going to say how much he's out there, but like I, I like K-pop. I... And not only do I like K-pop, I like music from all around the world. I don't really care, but I do just uh, prescribe myself as, like, as a uh, K-pop fan, right? And Jackson Wang was part of one of my favorite groups, still part of one of my favorite groups, uh, GOT7. And, as, and last year, they got done with their contract with JYP, and they all started doing solo activities, even though Jackson, as they've said in this article, has been doing that for a minute. Um, and... And the heels of his new release, Magic Man, he did this interview with Uproxx, which honestly, for the longest time, I thought it was called Uproar. I thought they were just trying to be really cool and really chic, and I thought it was called Uproar. So, like, the fact that I know it's now called Uproxx, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's dope. But something that interested me about this article from Jackson and Eric is, Elliot, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, but... I've, at least not in recent memory, I can't remember the last time I've seen such a candid interview from a from an idol in any sense. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare. I think there are certain times, I mean, BTS have, have been on some pretty candid stuff the past few years as they've kind of grown to that stature where they can kind of do that. Um and they also have always been pretty honest about things. It's always one of those things that's separated them. But rarely do you get this kind of stuff across, around the music industry. Um, you might, when, a, when an idol leaves a company, um, and that's kind of the, the ironic part of it, right? Or the, the, the elephant in the room is with Jackson more able to be on Team Wong and not able not on JYP anymore um it's definitely a whole different side of himself that he can show which is it's, it's exciting I think it's exciting yeah so 
yeah, to get back into it, I thought this was one of the most, once again, in recent memory, honest depictions of where a solo artist who is coming from an established group who have sold millions upon millions worldwide, but now doing solo activities, where he's at mentally and emotionally and creatively. Um, I think Eric does a great job by, once again, we always talk a lot about how like certain interviews, how they're set up. And this one gives the nice backstory for anyone who doesn't know, know him really quickly, but then goes into him. And it's the brief question and then letting, giving the floor to Jackson. These, in the answers, you see not just like a paragraph or even like a one big, it's like paragraphs for answers. He is, he, I I think this particular thing, besides his own vlogs, or let me say mini interviews or like fun little interviews he might do with Korean artist B-Rain, this is honest. This is him like openly saying like, I've cried. I've had, I'm seeing, alluding to having anxiety and depression about his, about said music and his place within it. Um, I am not Asian, I'm not Asian American, but to see someone trying to break ground musically, solo-wise, into the States and try a variety of genres is dope to me. Um, I think it's really cool. And the fact that he's still to see like his legitimate creative struggle is... It makes it, as fans, as or as even as people who are trying to get to know him as an artist... I think it was a great direction to go in. I think Eric does a great job layering the interview to where he can speak his truth. Um, and with that, I want to give it to you. maybe give it to Ryan because it's someone who's maybe not as familiar with K-pop or Mando or C-pop. Well, what what he is trying to do and like, what do you what do you take from this interview? Yeah, uh, absolutely similar things, actually. Yeah, as you say, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the artist or... or, or um... Eastern Asian music in general, to be honest. But um, yeah, I thought this was fascinating from like how philosophical he was. It felt like, uh, like you know, when you have like Diet Coke and put the Mento in and you like put the bottle on it, bottle cap back on, <laughs> and you release the bottle cap, it just explodes everywhere. That's what it feels like. It feels like he's just been holding on to all this for so long that he just got this interview, like it just allowed him to spill. And, um, yeah, again, like you said, I want to commend Eric from, like, an interview point of view, just getting the head out of the way, you know, <laughs> you know, when when, when uh, you have an artist who just wants to, you don't need to draw anything out of them, you know, you just place a prompt in front of them and they can just go, which is uh, simultaneously, like, as an interviewer, one of the best things that can happen to you, but also one of the trickiest things that can happen to you, because... Like you said, his its answers are like paragraphs long, right? And I'm sure Eric would have been like, would have picked out points that Jackson would have skipped by and thought, oh, I kind of want to latch on to that, but I'll let him go, you know? And it takes a lot of self-control not to just butt in and get in the way of an answer. Um, so yeah, I, I really found it interesting. And like, um, yeah, I was fascinated by, by Jackson's journey. Um with just the idea of creation and needing to reinvent himself as a person outside of, like you said earlier, like outside of a company, outside of being defined by a label um, and just rediscovering what 
music is to him and like um becoming more himself right which is awesome um yeah and the way that's expressed I, again i just got that feeling of something he'd been holding on to for so long because you do get these long answers which are really atypical for a lot of interviews um i think if you looked at a lot of interviews we brought to the podcast recently they'll be the answers they'll be edited down quite a lot and it's always an interesting question right because i remember we did like a christina lee interview with earth gang and it was like question that was a couple lines one paragraph from olu one paragraph from wild great and like that was the entire interview structure but here it's a lot more loose and I don't know about you guys, but whenever I do an interview myself and I have to kind of self-edit when I'm transcribing, I have to think, okay, is that vital? Like, And you'd end up losing a lot of the interview. Like, I can speak on so many talking points that I found fascinating interviews I've done that just never made the cut because they were just too tangential or I just overthought it and thought, okay, it's not going to make sense or I need to make sure people are actually paying attention and not, like, you know... Uh, drifting because the answers are too long or I can't have this four paragraph answer uh, it was really refreshing to see a piece just let it flow like that um, so yeah uh, uh, it's like you're when you're editing you're kind of editing for like an imaginary audience and as a journalist I, I, I loved it right I loved seeing this interview that felt so raw and just felt like Jackson's raw, raw thoughts and it really suited the way he was spilling in this interview um, but it also got me thinking, like, how much of the audience that we imagine are the actual audience? Like, like how much of our audience are also other journalists who also just want to see other uh, other people just absolutely uh, go off on their on their articles? How much do we over edit? But um, <laughs> yeah, that's generally what I had what I left my out in my mind while reading this piece. Yeah, Elliot, what about you, man? What, what what did you get from this? Because I would say, to Ryan's point, I think the reason why he did allow this to happen is because, like, K-pop fans or fans of, of the built type of fan, fan base he has built, they want to know more. They are those fans that want to know as much as they can. So maybe that's why he let, it, let him go for that long. Yeah, I think Jackson, from my understanding of him, is this very interesting figure because he's always had a bit of a candid energy to him and a bit of a a silliness but also something of a seriousness i think he's also had some unique sort of struggles and discourses to sort through as a person who is from hong kong um but at some point in his career transitioned to saying that instead of being from hong kong he was from china uh, amidst a lot of political turmoil and sort of a change in the political structure within China towards Hong Kong. And there being a lot of backlash about that, a lot of sort of the in and out backlash and controversy and craziness of living a K-pop idol lifestyle. And then also building himself in China and becoming a star there. And then also internationally and speaking English and working for international audiences he's this person who is like very ambitious and at the same time he has this very uh he has a lot of this narrative ability with his life he has a lot of this ability to just talk and talk and and kind of be 
outgoing and charming in a self-effacing way. There's a quote from here that is something that he kind of has said or talks about in some way time to time where he says like my supporters know how he came from whack to okay to not bad to damn he can do this he can do that he's always talking about the journey of his career as him going from somebody who really couldn't do anything artistically and didn't know anything who couldn't dance or couldn't sing couldn't rap and that's kind of been a, a burden on him or simultaneously something that he's embraced and something that i'm sure is a lot of pressure for him um, and probably partially, partially why he embraces it because it's something that he kind of tries to just put out there and challenge whether or not people might agree with him on that. He's always sort of seeing his career as something of him try having to get better, having to get better and having to match these ambitions. And I don't know, I think it's, it seems awfully stressful. When I read this interview, I think a lot of what I got from what he was saying was this feeling of stress this feeling of immense stressfulness and pressure because even in the times where he would sort of try to find this catharsis and also try to bring forth some some sort of positivity or some sort of message to to give the, even the interviewer who was like wow i found that thing you said really meaningful at one point um a lot of it is really just this this hardened idea of like what's your dream what's your goal go after your goal and a lot of taking on challenges as this as this kind of really important thing to him and i think that there's a lot of people who are just kind of like that um there are people that are just able to see challenges and just be like fun i want to do that i want to go through that with jackson though there's like this duality of, of struggle because you know for 90 percent of people that challenge and that struggle it takes something from us it takes a lot out of us it's not only just tiring but it requires oftentimes the kinds of sacrifices that sort of chip away at different parts of ourselves a lot of what he was doing with god seven in terms of the schedules and all the notorious things k-pop idols kind of go through is a exercise in that because it's an exercise in him working really hard, being ambitious, doing something for his fans, you know, trying to build the fan base and also appease the fan base and and appease the label and at the same time, you know, there's so much that you lose because you're not able to express yourself in certain ways. You're not able to even think about a larger dream or ambition because it's all about making sure that this group executes on this plan to do this business and to also make sure that you're very you know devoted to your fans in that way as well and i think he has a great appreciation for his fans but i also think that that kind of appreciation and that kind of relationship like any type of close-knit relationship can become a burden when it's not allowing you to have some breathing room and also when it's when it's so encompassing in your life in general and so I hope that as he continues in his career, he sort of finds his ability to express different colors of himself like he's doing now. But I also feel like it's okay too if, if, if he doesn't want to do big things because it's not something you should measure people by, right? I think we're very used to that in art, this idea like if you're not succeeding with a capital S, then you're not succeeding and you're, you're not you know, doing enough or something went wrong. 
Whereas to just be able to live and do your art and make money from it should be something that's celebrated. And if he's able to do that, which clearly I think he is, then it's enough. And I hope that that's a journey that he sort of finds himself on is being able to be enough for himself because it's something that all of us struggle with. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Maybe because of the trip. Once again, his at Jackson's work work ethic is admirable, but also scary, (laughs) scary. Um, Like the man speaks, if I'm mistaken, four different languages, maybe five. Korean, Cantonese, Mandarin, English, and a little bit of Thai. So yeah, I think he speaks like five languages. He was a fencing, he was a fencing prodigy. Gave that up. Went to went to live. Went to learn. I think he went to an American academy for a minute. Then he went. Then he got. Uh, let me see. Then he got into a Korean K-pop idol company, and it, it seems like the man has been on go since since birth. <laughs> like he's just been on go. Um. And as you were saying, it's like, yeah, it may, maybe hopefully in the future he can find that balance where it's like I'm expressing myself and finding myself creatively, um, cr- creatively, but also finding time for myself. Because if I, I remember, like I, I, maybe you've said or, or not, um, as I said in the interview, there was times where even his director or his music producer was like, hey, dude, it's we can we don't have to finish the song right now. It's OK. Relax. So maybe we can get to see that from a lot of artists, K-pop or not, international artists or not, where they, they like, even as writers ourselves, we learn how to slow down. Nothing has to be a home run and finding peace in that. Yeah, you feel the anxiety so heavily in this piece. That absolutely, I think it's like a huge thing, like how media treats, you know, treats age as well. You know, um, we always feel like we're running out of time. You know, some for some reason it feels like if I don't do this thing before I'm 27, everything's going to go up in flames. Like, you know, <laughs> like I have to do it while I'm young, otherwise it doesn't count, you know. But, you know, Miyazaki didn't make, didn't direct a feature until it was 38 or something ridiculous like that. Oh, so God. you got time, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, I, um, it's an industry-wide change that needs to happen, really. Uh, not just music industry, but just, uh, I know for sure, Western media in general, just like the way age is treated is, is horrible right now. And it gives people this constant anxiety about having to do the best work now, you know, because you just won't be valued if you do it when you're older. Yeah, very gnarly, very heady. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was... An honest conversation with Jackson Wang, the Magic Man, by Eric Geek for Up Rocks. We're gonna finish with my piece. <laughs> it's not my piece, it's the piece that I brought in. This is the piece that I brought in. It's by a YouTuber named That Dang Dad, a YouTube channel been around for a couple years and the video is called the rap album that changed my mind about law enforcement um, and I think that this is uh, something we can take from some different perspectives um, or some different sort of approaches it is a video piece it is um, a conversation 
and it's also a conversation that he leads into a larger conversation towards the end because he first and foremost is a former police officer who on his youtube channel discusses his experiences with law enforcement and being sort of de-radicalized from being a law enforcement officer and becoming radicalized as a leftist and recognizing the inherent uh, oppression of law enforcement and policing and prison in the world but in the united states specifically from his view and he's also a, a person who will tie that into different things and in this video he ties it into the album run the jewels 2 from 2014. of course run the jewels is the group with killer mike and lp and a lot of what their themes and their music is um a lot of their themes are related to police or or police brutality or different sort of lefty themes about oppression in the United States and rising up against that from this sort of standpoint of uh, embracing the this sort of street element of hip-hop when it comes to the run the jewels theme and the the famous logo and so he talks about having sort of begun this journey with de-radicalizing as a, as a law enforcement officer de-right-winging and sort of becoming more and more leftist in part through experiencing this album, experiencing what they had to say about law enforcement, experiencing a particular line which Killer Mike is basically like, we'll kill all the police officers and God will sort out the good ones. Fuck it, the Lord will sort them, that one. And him having this visceral reaction to that of like, why would, why would Killer Mike say that? And being really pissed off by it as a police officer, which one can understand, but then him also relating that to the very much present mentality that police officers have towards marginalized popula populations and towards people in general towards civilians of well we're you know sometimes you'll get collateral damage and i think this kind of sh mentality shift was was huge for him to understand how dehumanized the world population how dehumanized civilians had become for him as a law and or enforcement officer even as you know one of the quote-unquote good ones and so that's a pretty fascinating conversation. It takes a lot of vulnerability from him to talk about how basically evil he was and a lot of the things he was doing. And I think it's a video that a lot of people should probably watch. A lot of people. I mean, many of the videos on his channel serve as really great pieces of content for people who are not at all willing to sort of antagonize police officers, are not willing to criticize or look at a world without policing without prison it's a it's a great opportunity for them to begin on that journey by seeing a person who was a part of that and saying this was evil what we were doing was evil so there's a conversation he leads towards the end that i think we can we can touch on for the second question but first quickly what were your guys' thoughts on his video and what he had to say specifically about run the jewels and law enforcement. Good for Tyler. Um, okay, yeah, I have a lot of things to say about this piece, actually. Um, as I'm guessing, but as a black man, I'm guessing both of you guessed that I would, right? Um, so there's a few dots we can connect, right? So similar as we were talking earlier about Kendrick, right? Um, using your platform to correct some of the harm you've done before, right? Kendrick Lamar 
is trying that on a different scale because he's an artist and he contribu- contributed to misogyny, homophobia, um, sexism, all, all the bigotry in a different way, right? Just maybe not being directly involved in it and maybe outside of his personal life. But then you have this guy who was a former police officer and, police officer, and in this video admitted to doing things that intentionally was in some in some forms police brutality not necessarily directly like hitting people with sticks or shooting people down but the attitude and entitlement he saw what he had within himself right um and he's recognizing that and trying to fix it um i have obviously not i'm this is my first video i've ever seen from him have not been on his channel but for I want to say, first and foremost, I do admire and applaud him for that because I think that's very important. Sometimes, as, as you guys may have experienced sometimes in your life, sometimes people don't want to listen to somebody unless like they look like them, act like them, or in the same community as them. Um, I could go up to a police officer right now or just a general old conservative uh, white person and be like, hey... This is going on, like, my people are getting killed, murdered in the street, and or just being separated from their families in the most vicious way possible. And they're like, well, they shouldn't be doing bad things. And it gets into an argument, and they don't want, they, they've already assumed what I'm going to say up front and dismiss me. While well, something I wanted to get in, uh, get in about this video and this essay, whatever you want to call it, is the packaging is first of all his tone throughout the video is very mellow very very quaint and very you you could say likable it's not aggressive it's not it's his tone is very suitable to where like i'm not talking down to you i'm just telling you my story and i think that's very important with the message he's trying to say possibly even annoying some people that might come to his videos right he's like i'm not going to talk down to you i'm just going to tell you my experience and how you might also have these feelings if you've thought like me or in the same profession as me. And he even had to acknowledge, what was that quote he said? Um, it was a quote that I'd never heard before, but it was kind of poignant. Um, he said, a fish doesn't know when they're wet. Analogy I'd never heard before. But it was so appropriate because as he said in his video, he's like, he's like, when I was a police officer and I was literally arresting this guy, I didn't know. It's like, I was like, once as Elliot was saying earlier, it's like, I'm a good apple. I'm a good guy. This is for the greater good. But you can't see the system, excuse me, the system that you're in and seeing how it's perpetuating so much more negatively to so many people. And I have, it's, um, and I'm not one of those people that be like, oh, all. I'm not totally a cab, but <laughs> like somewhat a cab, because I do have people in my family and people that I know that are in law enforcement. I personally think they're good people, but I would not, I would be remiss to not to say like, oh yeah, I also know they're in a system where they could easily get caught up and corrupted in it because it has been doing that for hundreds of years, ever since the British policing system got invented. To when it got incorporated over here, and especially when those aspects of racism, um, stereotyping, bias, 
and how that all came together. So the fact that so uh, I'm going on a really really long tangent, Kai. But once again, we can probably circle back around because I have a lot of feelings when it comes to this. Um, but I am proud that at the end of the day, music helped him. And it was at the perfect time. Yes, it was. It was when he was in between jobs and try and not with. And he was no. He was uh, like he said. He was a fish on dry land. That he could finally see the sun, to a certain degree. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, um, yeah. It's definitely a conversation we'd have to have in pieces, right? Like, <laughs> is there? There is a lot to say, but um, I'm glad you left off on that point about. Uh, music being that thing that um, that changed changed his worldview really, um, because if you made a list of people who are like the most hard headed, true believers, <laughs> cops would be right at the top, right? <laughs> you know, no one no one believes their own dogma like a cop, right? No one believes in their righteousness like a cop. So um, to see music reframe that, it's it's fascinating and it's really beautiful. Um, and for Run to Jewel, Run the Jewels to do it, it's it's like vindication for the album's existence. You know, that album is punching down the walls of your mind to reach the center and radicalize you. Yeah, and um, it's like ah, purpose fulfilled. You know, like they put that thing out there and it reached the person. Like like you said in the video, they probably weren't thinking ah, this will reach a cop and like change their mind. You know, not exactly that. But it's true vindication for why the album, the album's existence, absolutely. And I love the video because it really took me back to listening to RTJ2 the first time. I adore the album. I loved it back in the day. I, I still have a soft spot for it now, but it's absolutely my favorite RTJ album because it, it really shaped my idea of what revolution looks and sounds like, you know, what we're trying to change, how we're trying to change it. This has been like RTJ, like refresh, right? And it felt like the revolution was right at your at, at your doorstep into <laughs> your earphones. You know, it was like it was right there. Like, we're gonna change the world right now. You know, uh, we're gonna burn everything down and rebuild right now. That's how it felt with when like, I was listening to Run the Jewels. You know, 20, 2014, I was sixteen. You know, so uh, Fuck me. listening to that. God <laughs> 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 <right>, damn. <laughs> But yeah, you know what I mean. So listening to that as as like I'm right in the middle of my teens, it's like, damn, you know, I really shaped my worldview. And like you say, um, just break down those walls uh, for sure. So yeah, um, yeah, I think we can move on to another aspect of it. <laughs> so maybe we circle back to Tyler now. But Edit, I'll let you, I'll let you uh, transition out of like to a different section of this <laughs> video. Yeah, I mean. I wanted to close this out with what he sort of closed out with, and this will be a bit of a tough one, a bit of a thinker that we can also pose to the audience. For those of you who have listened to this deep in the podcast, we love you, by the way. Um, he asked towards the end what piece of music, if there's any piece of music that the audience has listened to, that you've listened to, that has changed your mind about something, that has changed the way you think about something. And I thought this was a great question. He also posed it to say, you know, if, there's, if it's not something music necessarily, but you can think of something else, then you can share that. Somebody in the comment section mentioned how the movie Snowpiercer essentially mm. turned them from a, a liberal to an anarchist 
um, which is a, a fascinating thing, right? I think Bong Joon-ho's movies do that for a lot of people. For me, I think one of the earliest examples was probably Rage Against the Machine. I mean, I was probably like nine or ten years old looking up rock music on YouTube when I came across Rage Against the Machine. And I know a lot of people listen to them and don't radicalize or don't even think about it particularly much. Even the YouTuber, that thing, Dad, he's like, yeah, we were listening to that, you know, in our police cars, which is like one of the most bizarre things considering the messages. I mean, I grew up, I was young, so I wouldn't even say I had much of a political knowledge or basis but i definitely had grown up trying to develop these progressive tendencies i would watch the young turks sometimes um but a lot of that started from you know if not just like personal experiences or whatever and 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 not being able to formulate things but feeling things i think rage against the machine conceptualized certain ideas for me of you know those the, some of those that burn burn sorry sorry some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses right this idea that police and authority in general are oppressing us and oppressing us in a particular way that has left us to to defend them and to take up for them without even realizing that they are the ones who are burning crosses that they are the ones who are perpetuating inequality and it would take many years for me to sort of realize that message. But I think when you receive it at, at a point where you're vulnerable or, or able to receive something, it really sets the tone for many things in your life. So I'll pose that to you guys. What can you think of uh, in terms of a piece of music has changed your mind or your th- way of thinking in some way? Brown, I'm going to go first. Yeah, so- mine's going to be long-winded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, it is interesting because, like you said, and like he says in the video that Dan Dagged, it doesn't break down all your walls right away, right? It's all about planting seeds here and there, planting little landmines that you step across once and be like, oh, right? (laughs) It's like um, the story of breaking down that cognitive dissonance through various pieces of art. And I really like the visual that that Dan Dad uh, brought up in the video where he was kind of like, listing all those pieces of art all the books that you read all the tvs the shows that you watch that kind of realized how much you know each each one kind of being a step along the way of breaking down the cognitive dissonance um as far as me that's a really good question Elliot. because i don't really remember having an epiphany about any of this it's like i woke up one day and i was like hey cap mm-hmm. <laughs> but um <laughs> Uh, it's interesting, right? Run the Jewels absolutely are, are essential to that journey because, like I was saying, it really felt like that's what revolution looked like. Um, so, if I had to pick out one piece of music, it would absolutely be Run the Jewels. Um, to Pimp a Butterfly, actually, really as well. Um, coming out, I think, yeah, yeah, a year after Run the Jewels came out. Um, definitely digging into everything on that album because it's such a dense album filled with so much definitely taught me a lot um yeah it's a good question really i'm really thinking now um and and i'd say like a, a more uh recent one would absolutely be billy wood's music um 
Biddy Wood's music is is exceptional. If exceptional, <laughs> yeah, very good word for it. Um, yeah. yeah, if it doesn't, if that doesn't break down your ideas of like Western society, I don't know what will. You know, tell my children Western education is forbidden. <laughs> you know, um, for me. I'm going to already say, because I'm going to give some different examples, because once again, I said there's going to be long-winded, but I'm going to try to keep this as quick as possible, because we're running out of time. Um, I've always, I've kind of always been radicalized, because, well, I, this is my reality every day. Um, living in America, living in the South, for God's sake, growing up in Texas. Um, but to that Texas transition, I want to give, I want to say three pieces of media that radicalized me in different ways when it comes to different subjects. One, shortly, is... Prayers for Bobby. It was a, I think it was even a lifetime movie, but as someone who was raised in a very Christian household, who learned about um, LGBTQ rights through that movie, it radicalized me very quickly. I would say, I would argue it's a good movie. Anyone who, uh, even though I've watched since I was a kid, if you can find it, uh, find Prayers for Bobby. Great movie. Um, but it comes to in terms of music, there are two albums that radicalized me in terms of mental health recently, um, the past four years. Because they, once again, they planted those seeds. And now, as someone who's having their first therapy session in 2022, um, it that these, these helped me get here. One is Swimming by Mac Miller. Um, Mac Miller's been, it has released music in very pivotal moments in my life. And that was one where I was moving to Atlanta and how that, those seeds planted have helped me today to get where I am, where I'm finally going to go to therapy. And two is Saba Care For Me. Um, both of these are 2018 albums, but I think it's hilarious, but, um, uh, Saba Care For Me, as I was struggling with my own mortality and the health of my grandmother, who was deteriorating at the time, realizing mortality, death, and one's meant, and one's ability to find peace in that, or coping with death, whether it's unexpected or not, or the looming of death, um, also made me wonder therapy, so both of those albums have helped me a lot. And run a class me and be like, hey, everyone, go to therapy, check on yourself, take a break and be in. As I heard from my mentor recently, I.S. Jones, I hope she listens to this. Um, as she said to me, as you're doing this self-work, be easy on yourself. As we learned from Jackson Wayne, as I learned from her, as I've learned from these albums, be easy on yourself. Give yourself some time. Even if you're doing the work, do not force yourself. And that is probably my ending. That's. Message beautiful i love that thank you well, that's a great note to leave off on right yeah. um that video is the rap album that changed my mind about law enforcement by that dang dad we also had a piece from up rocks from eric deep called an honest conversation with jackson wang the magic man and we have a, a piece from gq Kendrick Lamar's groundbreaking Glastonbury set meets the moment with an abortion rights battle cry by Musa Okwonga. These pieces are great, but there are also a lot of other music pieces out there, many of which we'll never get a chance to read. And you can change that. You can send us independent writer's work or just great work that you would love to hear us discuss on the podcast. So go for it. Also, be sure to rate and review on whatever platform you're listening on. Yeah, from Central Sauce, I'm Elliot. I have Ryan and Tyler. They're here and they're happy. Yep. <laughs> and be easy on yourselves. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys. See you next time. Thank you.
this episode of A Search of Source featured Ryan Gore, Tyler Jones, and Elliot Sang of the Simple Source Grave Collective. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor, of the Fifth End Podcast Network. Music for the show is flashed up by Barsity. Thanks to Chill Records for ability to use. This has been a Search of Source and Fifth End Podcast Network production. Links with Barsity, Chill Records, Central Source, Fifth Element, and content covering the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. You'll see you next time as we continue our search for Source.